So if Francis is facing another round of destabilisation from his right, how likely is the church to survive? In an essay for The Atlantic magazine, Paul Eli of Georgetown University says the church will have to reinvent itself with a major shift in geography and thinking. The church struggled to accommodate itself to the Roman Empire in the 5th century. It struggled to adapt to the sack of Rome shortly after that. It had to adapt to the rise of Islam uh, early in the second millennium. It adapted to the emergence of the modern city-state in the middle of uh, the second millennium, then to the modern age of technology and the Industrial Revolution in the early 19th century, and then to a similar revolution in travel and communications in the 20th century. To each of these, the Catholic Church has had to adapt and has done so with varying degrees of success. Hmm. I mean, how would you describe its latest attempts to adapt? I think it depends on where you look. I mentioned in the article that the effort of framing the way the church encounters the times we live in has fallen to the popes. The popes are more prominent than any time in in previous history because of communications, because of travel. Pope John Paul made 150 trips. Pope Francis has made several dozen. More people have seen them in person and through photographs and video than just about any other figures in human history. So this means that to a significant degree, they're the face of the church's encounter with the world of our time. The three popes that have been significant in my lifetime have done it in three different ways. John Paul, of course, is a very long pontificate, but he presented the church as articulating a culture of life against a culture of death that he associated with secular society. Pope Benedict articulated the church representing a beacon or bulwark of objective truth against the supposed Um, relativism of the surrounding culture. Pope Francis has tried to present the church as presenting or keeping hold on the human scale and face-to-face human encounter in a world of big data and abstract encounters via technology. So we'd have to judge each of those and see how each of them has worked out. My own history and temperament make me most supportive of the pontificate of Pope Francis. Yes, and of course the critique, though, Paul, is that in many ways Pope Francis has given up on the Catholic Church, that he's yielded to you know, contemporary politics, contemporary sentiment. Is there anything in that? To the extent that any pope, any leader, works with the situation of his or her age, he is open to the charges of accommodationism. So Pope Francis has sought to meet people where they are on many issues, including moral issues that are matters of great conflict within the life of the church. At the same time, he's opposed what he calls the throwaway culture of modern society, the culture of indifference, the culture of waste, the culture of environmental degradation, the culture that thrives on huge gaps between the haves and the have-nots, And all these things, he's been as strong or stronger than any recent pope. And so it's simplistic to suggest that he suddenly ceased to oppose the world and that his predecessors somehow kept up the opposition 
fought the good fight. When we speak of his predecessor, Benedict XVI, reading a lot of pieces after he died, a lot of writers tried to emphasise that he was a man of the West. He was on a quest to reignite Catholicism in the West, especially Europe, which he saw as its, its heartland, certainly not its birthplace, but maybe its heartland. But did that ultimately become a lost cause? Certainly, Benedict was a man of the West, and as Cardinal Ratzinger, he was probably more fluent in the tradition of Western Christianity than anybody. And I use that term fluent rather than brilliant, because I think it had to do with it being a kind of language that he spoke. If you were judging by statistics, you'd have to say that the church is not any stronger in Europe than it was prior to Benedict's pontificate. But the church and Catholics don't go by statistics. I think he made an important contribution to reminding us of what's robust in Western Christianity, but at the same time, he had a blind spot or even a defensiveness about the aspects of Christianity and other cultures that are equally strong and fruitful. I mean, where were those blind spots, Paul? For the Atlantic, I touched on to a certain degree, and then also in some writing I've done for the New Yorker. Pope Francis has been quite vigorous in his wish to encounter people of other faiths, and in that, he follows on a strong precedent set by Pope John Paul. Pope Benedict, in contradiction or in distinct from both of them, was quite leery of the encounters with people of other faiths. In 2000, before he was Pope, he wrote a document called Dominus Jesus, which used pretty harsh language to suggest that not only is Christ the savior in the Catholic and Christian tradition, but to go on to say that not only other religions, but other Christian bodies are in a gravely deficient situation when it comes to the whole question of salvation. Now, those are harsh terms, and they, to me, suggest a blind spot vis-a-vis the church's encounter with other Christian bodies and other religions, one that I think Pope Francis has really um, tried to correct. This raises a fascinating point that you dwell on in your article. If there is a reinvention of the Catholic Church, it's very much to do with geography. So where is geography influencing, even dominating this reinvention? We'll know better in 25 years than we do now, but it can't be insignificant that the majority of the world's Catholics now live in the global South. It can't be insignificant that beginning with Pope John Paul, even beginning before him with Paul VI to a certain degree, the Vatican has has recognized this by appointing bishops and cardinals from outside of Europe and from places all over the world. And it can't be insignificant that for the middle class, at least, travel to other places is easier than it was before. Communication among places is easier than it was before. So Like it or not, we live in a society that can't be defined by Western culture in the way that it was, let's say, for 500 years uh, from the Renaissance up until Vatican II. So, yes, the global South is the new centre of Catholic growth. That in itself, though, has brought for this Pope some problems. Where has he encountered, for example, some pushback against his accommodation of local customs, especially, for example, um, in Latin America, his homeland? Pope Francis comes from Argentina. He's a Pope of the Global South. He spent 70 years there and most of his life as a Catholic leader there. He's no stranger to Rome. He's no stranger to Western culture, but he's had to see with both eyes for most of his life. And I would say that's the situation for more and more of us. He initiated a synod on the Amazon that brought many people from the Americas to Rome and brought a whole diversity of religious expression within Catholicism to Rome. That was a flashpoint for people who don't like a certain kind of costume, don't like a certain kind of mass, 
who don't like the prospect of deacons enjoying the role of ordained priests. All these things were flashpoints for him, and they're not yet settled, and they're not going to be settled simply anytime soon. In spite of its own grievous failings, you do make the case that the Church's idea of human rights and human dignity has in fact become commonplace in the West. In what way? And indeed, in Western law, in what way? I'm not an expert in constitutional law and in the way that it shapes public policy, but as I understand it, we in the West take for granted the inherent value of every life, the inherent equality of all people, and all sorts of rights that extend from that. Now, the extent of those rights and the nature of them is up for debate, and that's the stuff of our common life. But that we're all on some level created equal and that rights and responsibilities follow from that, uh, Catholic Church contends, derives from a Judeo-Christian view of the world in which those rights belong to us because we are endowed with them by our creator. Long story short, that narrative worked out very carefully by the French philosopher Jacques Maritain became a basis and a significant one for the UN's Universal Declaration on Human Rights of 1948. And much of what we've seen in international law since then has played out on that basis. Paul Eli of Georgetown University and his essay in The Atlantic also reviews John McGreevy's new book, Catholicism, A Global History, from the French Revolution to Pope Francis. Find more great ABC RN stories that take you beyond the headlines on the ABC Listen app.